Amen. Slightly smaller group this evening. And a couple of people are sick. Others have given their apologies. But it's great to have you here. I'm gonna, we're going to jump straight into the lesson. Aline is going to um, help me this evening. But I just want to make an amazing announcement. Uh, these are 2019 calendars. They have been put together by Edward. And, uh, Edward is an amazing wildlife photographer. Um, that's birds, and here are animals. Mammals, I guess I'd call them. No, not only mammals. Huh? Everyone is photographed by Ed. He is doing this to raise funds for the Edge Ministry. Isn't that awesome? Okay. So, um, they cost 90 Rand each, which is a bargain as far as I'm concerned. Here's the thing. So the idea is if you work, uh, you put this in your office and when your colleagues come, you say, wouldn't you love to buy a calendar like this too? Right? Okay, the market, we hope, is beyond just the 50-odd members of this church. Amen. So tell your friends, these are great Christmas presents, aren't they? Just throwing that out there, all right? So if you want to give your mom or dad a nice Christmas present or your colleague at work, uh, Ed will be taking orders. Amen. Great. Okay, so two weeks ago, uh, we spoke about, I gave a lesson on bearing fruit. Remember, I gave four points, four keys to bearing fruit in the form of making disciples. And this evening we are going to continue on that theme. This is very much the focus of the church. We, as we're studying through the book of Acts, Acts, we see the example of the apostles and it is inspiring, isn't it? And it is challenging just to see how at every opportunity they basically proclaim the gospel. Um, so that's the, the backdrop. And this will be a big theme in the church next year when we get together early in the new year in January. You know, the leaders will have a bit more to share about this. So this is really preparing us for, quite honestly, a biblical, what should be a normal focus for disciples. Okay, it's bearing the fruit of making disciples. And this is the passage we looked at two weeks ago, uh, John 15, verse 5 and 8. I am the vine, Jesus speaking, obviously, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Bearing fruit in the Bible is concerned or is associated with becoming more and more like Jesus, the fruit of Christ's likeness, but also the fruit of new, new conversion, seeking and saving the lost, the fruit of making disciples. Okay, so those are the two main associations of bearing fruit. Um, in this context, I believe Jesus had both in mind, but he certainly also had making disciples. Okay, then I also shared this passage, Jesus again speaking. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We do not actually read about the disciples asking this, but Jesus made it clear that you are the workers, because immediately after this he sent them out. And I asked us last week, or last time, to really look into our hearts and ask ourselves, do we truly believe this? Do we believe that the harvest is still plentiful? Do we believe that the workers are still few? And all of you guys said, yes, I do believe it. And therefore, and then I brought up this scripture, which I'll do again, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13 to 14. Paul speaking, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. 
since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. In the Bible, belief is not just a head thing. True belief results in conviction of the heart and action or speech. Okay, so Paul is reminding the Corinthians and he's quoting a psalm here. He says, just like our, our ancestors, you know, to them, belief and action went hand in hand. And if we truly believe that, you know, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, if we really believe that, we're in the field, right? We are proclaiming the gospel, we are working, right? Because the biblical belief results in conviction, resulting in action or speech. Okay, then uh, we looked at the first four keys, which I've just covered now. Um, a key to bearing the fruit of making disciples starts off with, I really believe this is what I'm called to do. I really believe that Jesus has called me up to be one of his workers in the field. And then secondly, pray. And this is a theme in Acts we see over and over again. Jason preached a great lesson on Sunday again. You'll just see this over and over again in the church, in the early church. They were a praying church. They weren't just a church that prayed, and that's what we want to be. We want to be a praying church. We just pray all the time. That's what Christians do. Okay, we pray for open doors the way Paul did. And then the third point was to submit or to surrender, particularly to the Spirit. You know, Jesus speaking to his disciples said that, I'll send you the Spirit who will witness about me, and you also must witness about me because the Spirit's going to be in you. And witnessing, in a Spirit-led witness, does require us to surrender to the Spirit, to let the Spirit speak, to let the Spirit stretch us and challenge us. Okay, so that was the point there. Galatians is all about living by the Spirit, Galatians 5. And then the next point is making disciples requires working hard. And some people think, ooh, Jesus, that doesn't sound like God's grace and faith. Hard work is part of being a disciple. Look at the example of Paul, and that's just one of many references to how he, how he labored, how he wasted himself for the gospel. And then Luke 9.23, passage we know well, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his cross daily. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Okay, it does require that response. We work hard out of, motivated by the love of Jesus on the cross. We take our cross, I take up our cross daily. We work, we're in the field as disciples working because Jesus needs workers and it requires hard work. I use the example of workers in the field. If you've ever seen farm workers work at harvest time, it is hard, hard work. Okay, so to make disciples does require commitment, energy, hard work, sacrifice, investing in people, investing in relationships, loving people takes work. And then this evening, we're going to cover another six points. There are ten in total. I'm going to do a couple then, only in a couple, and then I will, I will end up. The first point then is, you make disciples by scattering seed. And guys, I'm going to share this with you. We're not going to go through all the scriptures. Please study them out. But First Corinthians 3 verse 6, that's where Paul said that um, he scattered the seed Apollos watered and God made it grow. And he's referring to planting the Corinthian church. Now if you read, you know, later on when we get to Paul in the book of Acts, we'll see, see how Paul every day, he was somewhere proclaiming the gospel, he was preaching the message. 
He was sowing the seed which is the word of God. We know that from Mark chapter 4. Okay, not everybody was baptized that same day. I'm sure some people came to listen to Paul day after day after day. Maybe they weren't convicted immediately. I think of myself, I took seven years to get convicted to the point of making Jesus Lord. It took me a while, it takes people a while. We need to just scatter the seed. And we mustn't always be concerned and take it too personally. People don't immediately respond. Right? You've sowed the seed. You trust God that he'll put someone else there to take the person to the next level of conviction and commitment, but God makes it grow. But we, are, we just need to scatter the seed. Use every opportunity to proclaim the gospel, to speak about Jesus. First Peter 3, verse 15, and that's where Peter says, use every opportunity. If people ask you, why do you believe? What, 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 what is this hope that you have? He says, use every opportunity to give the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Scattering the seed is using every opportunity. Mark 4, the parable of the sower. Remember the four types of hearts? But the one type of heart is the hard heart. The other type of heart is the shallow heart. The third type of heart is the distracted heart or the worried heart. And then the fourth type of heart is the humble heart. We can't control people's hearts. We are not, that's not our job. People's hearts are their hearts when we scatter the seed, when we speak about Jesus. What we can control is how we speak about Jesus. And let me just ask the question, what is your experience out of those four hearts? What, are the, what have you found is the most common heart that people have nowadays towards the word of God? Is it the humble heart? Is that like the, the obvious... Sadly, it's not, right? Most people don't just immediately take the word of God, Amen, when can I be baptized? You know, it just doesn't happen. Not too often anyway. I experience, maybe it's the people who I relate to or kind of similar to me, it's the distracted heart. It's the worried heart. It's the worries of life. Okay, but some people just have hard hearts as well. They just totally reject the word of God. Others are shallow. They kind of look, Okay, and they accept it, but to really change people from the end, some people struggle with that. We can't control that, but what we can do and what we must do is just speak about Jesus. Okay, scatter the seed. And then the sixth point is to practice. Practice makes better. We don't have to be perfect. Now, normally, your practice makes perfect. We're never going to be perfect at this, but practice makes better. You know, Luke 10, verse 1 to 24, that is where Jesus has now spent plenty of time with the disciples. He's taught them, he showed them, and this is where he sends them out. He sends them out in twos. He sends out the 72. And it's almost like a dress rehearsal. It's a, it's a training opportunity for them. He sends them out. They do amazing things. They say, man, we delivered people from demons. We performed miracles. People accepted the gospel. It was amazing. They're excited about the kingdom of God. They're all excited. I can imagine Jesus just sitting back and smiling and saying, yes. But this is just a rehearsal. This is going to be your life. I'm pleased you've learned some lessons and we've talked about them. Jeremiah 12 verse 5, one of my favorite passages, goes something like this, paraphrasing. He says, do not try to, do not try to run with the horses if you can't even keep up with men on foot. If you cannot walk in nice, nice open ground, there's no way you're going to walk through the thickets on the banks of the Jordan. Now the lesson there for us is 
It's great to have these amazing visions of changing the world, but you've got to start somewhere with little baby steps. Um, it's like doing the marathon. Nobody, if you haven't been running for a while and you want to do a marathon, do not try to run a 42-kilometer training run on your first run. Okay. You're going to, firstly, you're going to be very disappointed. And if you are stubborn and silly enough to insist on running 42, you're probably not going to run for months afterwards as well. You know, you plan it. You've got to practice and train and get fit. And it's the same spiritually. So we've got to start. And, and I know that many of you here and people who are not here haven't shared your faith for a while. Am I right? Many of you here haven't been in a Bible study with somebody for a while. And as a result of that, you might have lost confidence. I pray you haven't lost the heart. But if you've been out of practice for a while, we kind of, it's difficult to get back, isn't it? It's difficult to get back in the game when we've been spectators on the sidelines. You know, but we've got to start somewhere. We've got to start practicing. But let me ask you this, and I'd like some feedback here. What can you do to practice to become better at witnessing for Jesus? What practical things do you think we can do you know, to prepare us for when we have an opportunity to witness or to study the Bible with somebody? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Study the Bible out for yourself. True. We're never going to know everything, obviously, and we've got to know what we don't know as much as knowing what we do know. Okay, but certainly we should grow in our knowledge of the Bible. Um, prayer, and especially Yep, definitely part of practice. We don't just jump into, maybe we're going out with someone to share our faith, or maybe we've got a Bible study set up. We must almost always pray before those times, definitely. Great point. Yeah, go out as Jesus sent his disciples out in twos. If you've lost a bit of confidence and you feel mm, you've got a, or maybe you're just a young Christian, link up with a mature Christian. And even if you're not invited, it'll be great to initiate and say, I'd love to. I'd love to go and share my faith with you. I'd like to learn from you. Or next time you have a Bible study, please involve me. Okay, sort of practicing. Uh-huh. Tell your story. That is what sharing our faith is. It's really telling people our story. We can practice telling our story with one another, and we have done that from time to time. Remember First John 1 verse 1? Share what you have seen and heard and experienced. That's it. We saw, we heard, we experienced it, and that's what we speak about. You can practice telling your story. You know, and you can tell your story in different ways. I've probably told my story on a Sunday a hundred different times because I've got a pretty long seven-year-old story. You know, we can practice telling our story in a way that's exciting and pulls people into the story. But on that topic, we can also practice telling God's story. Okay, that we explain that the Bible is not just a static book with you know, verses that don't really string together and passages. So we can practice telling God's story. If you had a minute with somebody to tell them God's story, would you be able to do that? You can practice that. Hmm. Can I tell the story one? But I also want to make a mm. Okay, I think like, 
a lot of times when we speak about our story, like we, we speak about like up until baptism, but I think the story continues from baptism onwards. So our experiences, even as disciples, um, share that with people, knowing that like now we're not perfect <laughs> at all, but we're trying to live to the standard that Jesus we know Jesus mm-hmm. believes or believes that He's calling us to. Awesome, I think it's very practical. I love what you say. It said in the beginning, especially, is that, and you're right, I tend to stop at my baptism, but the story continues. You know, so, how do we share with people our story of being a disciple? You know, that it hasn't always been perfect. You know, we've had tough times and how we've dealt with them, how people have helped us, etc. Great point, Ski, and thanks. Okay, any other ways? If we can practice. I would suggest, and I think it's linked to Bible study, but um, especially if you haven't studied the Bible with someone for a while, go through the Bible studies in your quiet times. You know, if you can memorize the scriptures, awesome, but at least be familiar with them. You know, those Bible studies convict me. Whenever I prepare them, you know, I, I go through the Bible studies before I sit down with somebody, and I think of the person and which scriptures are going to be the most useful. Then obviously I pray and as Keegan says, then you just are led by the Spirit, and if you deviate from the Bible study, that's going to help the person. Amen. You do that. But as a basis, we should all be familiar with the Bible studies. So how familiar are you with the Bible studies? Now, that's part of practice. You know, can you, are you confident doing a word study and telling people about discipleship and what sin is and the need for repentance and God's grace and you know, who Jesus is and the family of God and why baptism is important and so on? Okay, so that's part of the practice as well. And then be involved in a Bible study. I think we mentioned this. That's part of practice as well. Um, Share your faith with someone experienced and get involved in the Bible study with somebody. Um, Amen. Let me stop now. I'm going to hand over to Merlin. Okay, the next point I'm going to talk about is using the season that you're in. Um, In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, it says, um, There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. And I think even as far as um, being able to use the phase that we're in in our lives to share with people, um, that would be included in this passage. And, you know, if I think of Neil and I, we have been through many seasons um, in our lives. You know, we're getting old. We're reaching kind of our last season one of these days. Um, but I just spent some time thinking about the, the seasons that I've been through, but also the seasons that I missed as a disciple. You know, so I missed growing up in kid zone. You guys didn't. Uh, I missed being a teenager as a disciple. Um, I missed being a campus student as a disciple, which I really regret because I think campus ministry rocks. Um, I missed being a single as a disciple, but I would never have been because I was a student when I got married. So I kind of like just skipped the edge phase completely. <laughs> um, I missed the phase of being a young married disciple without children. Okay, so my, my journey began when I already had young kids. Um, and if I think back and I think over, you know, the different ways that I met people, I was just thinking about people who I've studied the Bible with. I think about Jill. I don't know if Mersh remembers her, but Jess was at pre-primary with her, and that's how I met Jill, and Jill became a disciple. She's not faithful today, but 
she knows the truth. She was led to the truth. Um, I think about this woman I met at swimming lessons. I think it was Dean's swimming lessons, actually. And I started reaching out to her, and we were studying the Bible, and her marriage was a total mess, but she backed out in the end. But she had an opportunity. I think of Tenby, Sims's mom. Dean was buds with her at school. I met her also at the clinic when she was a nurse, you know, and Tenby, she became a disciple as well. Other people, as a, as a young mom, you know, I met Eileen in the shopping mall. And Calvin became best buddies with Byron and, and Jess for, for me. Well, they're still buddies, actually, you know, and Eileen's still faithful. Amen for that, you know. But just different people that I've, that I've thought at in these diff- different phases in my life. I think of working at Hope. Polani became a disciple through Hope. We employed him through Hope. And because of the Hope staff, and as we, as we loved on him and he saw our lives and he saw what we did, he became a disciple. Um, you know, there were others. I think Monica became a disciple through her back in the day. You know, um, she went on her own little journey, but she's back now. And that was through hope, through work that she was met. You know, so there are all these different ways that God puts you in very unique, specific circumstances. I can't really meet teenagers anymore because I'm not at school. Um, okay, none of you are at school anymore here. But I, I'm not on campus, you know. I have grey hair. Unless I go there as a lecturer, campus students are going to look at me funny, you know. I have to walk around with my briefcase and my computer bag. Leah, you can do it. Um, I, you know, I think that God really, one of the things we must realize in bearing fruit is God wants to use you in your life phase that you're in. Doesn't mean he doesn't work with outside of that life phase. We all have families. We all bump into people when we are out for dinner or when we somewhere and we know God is prompting us, go and speak to that, that person. Random things like Uncle Dave in a meeting and he just saw on the list that I signed that I was part of a church and he's like, which church do you go to? <laughs> and I'm like, well, this church, you want to come? <laughs> and, you know, it's just so great to see how God uses us in all these different circumstances. So, you know, think about your life phase that you're in. Pray about your life phase that you're in. You're only going to be in this life phase for a short time, and then you're going to move to the next one, and then you're going to move to the next one, and then you're going to move to the next one. Make the most of the life phase that you're in now to reach the people that God wants you to reach now. Don't think when you are, when you are this, you know, when I'm in edge, you know, then I'll meet really cool people. Or when I'm married, then it'll be easy because I'll have my husband beside me, you know. Um, and, you know, okay, so I missed those phases, but certainly Neil and I as a married couple, we have had so many opportunities to use our life phase to reach out to people. Um, we have experience in parenting and marriage. So often our in has been people are having a really, they've got a really sucky marriage. Well, someone says, you know what, I've got someone who can help you with your marriage. There's a woman I'm studying with right now who Lavuyo met through work, and it was because she has a sucky marriage that I'm not studying the Bible with her. You know, um, we have had people who have been so desperate that they've been, I mean, Molly and David, you know, they came to hang with us and started coming to church because they were having problems, and they just sat with us, and we were able to talk with them and, and guide them. You know, but you've got to be intentional. You've got to be 
hospitable. You need to have people around for dinner so that they can see you, how you interact with your kids. So they can see how you interact with one another. They can see a godly marriage. They can see godly parenting. And then be like, oh, whoa, you know, gosh, this is awesome. I would love to have a relationship with my son like I see you have with your son. Or I would love to have the relationship with my husband that I see you have. And that's our end. We talk about ends, by the way, since our, <laughs> since our leaders break away, you know. Really praying and looking for that end. Um, but every life phase is an opportunity for you to bear fruit. Do not waste those opportunities that God wants you to take. Okay, the next one is head, heart, hands. Um, so let me just read this. I'm actually going to read the James passage quickly first. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Um, The other passage is simply... As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey obey it. And I think the point is um, that this starts with us. You You know, if our faith is a living faith, then God's word has to hit us on three levels. It must hit our head in us really understanding and having the knowledge of the scripture that we are reading. But it has to also impact on our hearts, because our hearts is where the transformation happens. This is where the metanoia happens, the repentance. As you look into the word and you see how in this way or that way your life doesn't align, and that changing, that mind shift that happens. And then you align your actions with what you see from the word of God, which is the hands. And I think it's so critical because, firstly, if we neglect a single one of these steps, if we, if we neglect the, the heart step, you're going to be legalistic. You know, and that's certainly what we don't want in our faith. If it's a living faith, it'll be driven and from the heart of love for God and love for his word and a desire to please him, you know. Um, and then we, as our understanding shifts, shifts, we very often have something that we need to do um, to, to really be according to God's will. But I think another thing that is so important is that as we teach people we cannot miss a single one of these steps if we want to ensure that we bear fruit that lasts. Um, I think very often it's when somehow people haven't grasped it at that heart level where that metanoia has not happened that in the end they walk away because being a disciple is just too hard. You know, um, there's the other extreme where people are all head and heartsy and there's no, there's no doing, okay? We, we want to, remember, we want to make disciples who become disciple makers, that they also go into the harvest field with us. So I think really consider, and this is something I've become really, really, really aware of as I am studying 
the Bible with people now. We are really trying to ensure that they have the, the understanding that, you know, I start up front even now with teaching people how to do proper exegesis because if they don't know how to read the scriptures properly then and they jump to applying it straight away, they might apply it entirely wrongly, which I think is a lot of times what people do. So giving people just a basic guideline of, man, if you're going to study the Bible, this is what you need to do. And this is the one of the things I say to them. Head, heart, hands. As you read the scripture, look for what is your understanding? What is happening on a heart level? What is the change, the shift? And then is there anything God wants you to do because of having read that scripture? Right from up front. So anybody can say after doing the word study, I understand. I need to make time to read my Bible. I need to set aside time because it's important and I need to obey what I read. You know, um, and, and so as I go through the studies, I try to ensure that that is the understanding they have and to help them also to understand Bible was written to a different audience, you know, help them a little bit with that. Um, and I think I'm really just seeing that um, the woman I'm studying with really seemed to love that approach of, of, of really, you know, taking it and having that understanding. They get excited when they see this, this change that can happen in their own hearts. Um, and I'm excited about it, so it kind of like rubs off on them, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, that's really what I wanted to share with you. Um, and back to Neil. Amen. Great Sherry, thank you. Yeah. Oh, nice. I'm an amazing wife, don't I? Amen. And um, and just on that last point, Nolene, when she she's mentioned that you know she's studying the Bible with a couple of a few women at the moment, and what I really appreciate about Nolene, and I hope some of you as well, is ex- experiment. You know, not just randomly, but if if you really believe that there's a better and more effective way to reach people. And in the leaders group, we speak a lot about these things, head, heart, and hands. And you know, praying, 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 praying for boldness and for wisdom. So this is what we do. And Nolene, you know, I, I know that as she studies with people, she prays, she understands where where they're at. She she will send them scriptures with a head, heart, and hand challenge as well. So I, I think there's great learning in that for us all. And um, I've also just started to apply that kind of approach. And it is, it's awesome because it's biblical. And this is the way Jesus did it. I've no doubt. And what we're moving towards as a church, and I mentioned next year, is to not only have a, a focus on making disciples, but making disciples who make disciples the way of Jesus. Okay? That we, even when we study the Bible with people, we say this is not just about you being a disciple and in God's family and saved. What we're helping you to do is to be a disciple maker. Jesus made disciple makers. And that's what we need to do. Give people a vision. And as I think Keegan sort of similar thought, that it's not just, I'm now saved and I can tell my story. In ten years time, you know, we pray that that whoever's baptized into Christ in ten years time will have amazing stories about how he or she has made disciples and how God has used him or her to do that. Okay, then... We reach out to people to bring them in. Um, you know, John 13, 34 to 35, you guys know well. Um, you know, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, he said, Love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. All people will know that we are genuine, true disciples of Jesus the way we love one another. And it's one thing to go to somebody's house or to meet them in a coffee shop and study the Bible, 
But for them to really get head, heart and hands, I believe they need, people need to experience this community. I, I tend to with men and it's, is after, especially if a guy is a little bit wary about church, and people are wary about church because of bad church experiences. Maybe they're not ready to come to a church service, but we can certainly invite them into our homes. And then you, you help have a couple of other disciples around the table as well. Sometimes people are much more willing to go to a small group meeting than come to a Sunday church service. But as soon as possible, help people to get into the community. There's not just you and maybe some other brother studying the Bible with them. As I say over and over again, Cyprian Early Church leading year 200 or so, he said, we do not speak great things as much as we live them. Okay, so in Bible studies we can speak great things about the gospel, but it's when people really see how we live the gospel and we invite people into that life, that is where true change takes place. Okay, so we reach out to people and use the opportunity to bring them into the family. Recognizing that because there's so many bad church experiences, right, we've got to be patient, we've got to love on people, introduce them in maybe small doses, okay, and around, you know, the table for a meal is certainly one way that most, and an invitation that very few people would not accept. Okay, so we reach out to people with the intention to bring them in. What I started to say was what I, what I do with guys nowadays, if they're kind of open to it, I don't throw this on them in the beginning. You know, especially if we're progressing through the studies, but there's still kind of a reluctance to get involved in the community, I give them a, a three-month challenge. I'll say, I want to challenge you to throw yourself into the community for three months. That's an act of faith for you to understand. Or at least come to small groups for a while. Okay, but commit to meetings of the body. Because this is going to limit your growth and your understanding, just knowing the scriptures. But see how the scriptures are, are lived out. Live the gospel with us for three months, please. You'll benefit, we'll benefit, God will be pleased and will help change you. And then finally, you know, getting back to the first, in the beginning, and this is absolutely key, John 15 verse 5, Jesus said, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Jesus didn't say, if you remain in me and I in you, uh, you may bear fruit, you could bear fruit, you might bear fruit, if you're lucky you'll bear fruit, you will bear fruit. Yeah. And that, you can read that in any translation, that's a very definitive thing, it is you will bear fruit. Okay, what's key? It is to remain in Jesus. How do, and I in you, how does Jesus remain in us nowadays? Through the Spirit. Jesus lives, lives amongst his people through the Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God. Jesus, God and the Spirit are all one, you understand, right? It's kind of hard to separate them. But when it comes to understanding how Jesus lives in us nowadays, we need to understand that it is through the Spirit. When we quench the Spirit, as Keegan says, we cannot expect to bear much fruit. Certainly fruit that will last, as he says in chapter 8. Right? But we need to remain in Jesus. How do we do that? This is the last little interaction. What does a person who, who remains in Jesus, what does their life look like? If I tell you, yeah, oh, I remain in Jesus, and then you're quite entitled to say, what does that look like, Neil? How should I answer? I go to church. I'm a member of a church. What would a life look like of remaining in Jesus apart from the fruit? 
you walk mm-hmm. within your pre-life has to be a huge part of it. I mean, that committing yourself to him in the morning when you wake up, wanting to be in step with him, and obedient to him. Guys, agree? Yep. Remaining in Jesus, you certainly have a very active, vibrant, faithful prayer life. Yeah? Okay, good point. It will show in your your life, certainly. And there is a level of consistency there, isn't there? You know, and yeah, we're not perfect. Listen, we human beings, we have our bad days, right? Things go wrong. We don't always respond well. But remain, you can't say remain in Jesus if you just fall away for weeks and really do badly and kind of claw your way back and your whole spiritual life is like this. But there, so there is a, a remaining speaks about a certain consistency, at least. Mm. I was thinking devotion, you know, um, mm. I was thinking about what um, Mr. Mandra was preaching, um, you know, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, obviously the Word of God, and what you mm. guys teach us on a Sunday a lot of times. Um, the fellowship, you know, like having, like mm. character building, you know, like relationships with each other, um, breaking of bread, like communion, and Correct. prayer, like what I think is Great example, and I think, and I was going to ask, what is Jesus associated with in the Bible, or what is the Word of God? Okay, sorry, I should have said. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, it was a bad question, Keegan. But the, the, the Acts two thirty-eight to forty-two passage you just quoted is absolutely all about the body of Christ. It's how the fellowship, right? So if you remain in Christ, and Jesus says, you know, the church. My family is my body. There is the commitment to the fellowship, doing all those things. So if I remain in Jesus, I should be totally connected with the body. Right? Through relationships, I'm devoted, praying together, studying the Bible together, digging into God's Word together, eating together, having fellowship. So a sign of of remaining in Jesus is being committed and involved Embedded in his family. Okay, so that's the sign. Yeah. Mm. True. It will show in the fruit, and that's what I call the fruit of Christ likeness. You know, you, your character is changing to take on the attributes of the Spirit, which are the character of Jesus. True. John 1 verse. One, I need the preteens, yeah? In the beginning was? The Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus. Okay, so Jesus and the Word. So remaining in Jesus is just being in the Word. Right? We learn Jesus and about Jesus and we connect with Jesus and we relate to Jesus and we are plugged into Jesus when we spend time in, in the Word. So remaining in Jesus is loving the Word of God and spending lots of time in it. So if we do those things, if we plug into the family, if we um, want to change to become more like Jesus, if we're in the Word of God and we're living, walking in step with the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit, the promise is you will bear 
Some fruit, a little bit of fruit, much fruit. <laughs> right, you know, much fruit. And, and this is the fruit of Christ-likeness. You know, all of us will be changing. We'll be radically changing to become more like Jesus. But we'll also be bearing the fruit of new disciples. Much fruit. I would love to lead a number of men to Christ every year. That to me would be much fruit. And imagine this though. If, do you think it is possible that if we remain in Jesus and we accept that Jesus is in us, through the Spirit, and we submit to the Spirit. Do you think Jesus would enable us, equip us, make us, or through us, bring one person to Christ through us in a year? Each. Each. I mean, that's how I read that at least, right? And he might even say, where's your faith? A year of little faith. You know what I mean? One person a year? But imagine if we could, we'd be doubling as a church every year. Okay, let's be realistic. One person every two years. We're doubling as a church every two years. This is the way we need to be praying. This is the way we need to be dreaming. This is the way we need to be reading the Bible, church. Right? This is the promise of, of Jesus. And we see this explosive growth in Acts. And yeah, we can say it was unusual, yes. But you know, within a couple of years, there were tens of, at least 10,000 disciples in a couple of years. Do you believe that this is possible, church? Hmm? And because we believe, we are going to proclaim the gospel. We believe we speak. Amen? Amen. So let me um, stop there with this challenge. And I encourage each of us to, in a quiet time or two this Christmas, to go through this. And don't be totally depressed and think, I'm not doing any of this. But if there's one thing you can change this season that will help you to bear fruit, what would that be out of all of these things? That's doable, surely. That if we all work on one of these things this Christmas, and that we aim in the future, obviously, to be doing these things. And there are more. I'm sure I could have come up with 15. Between Aline and I, we could have come up with a lot with more. But we really believe these, these are 10 key, 10 keys to help us to become disciple makers. To make disciples who make disciples. Amen. Thank you.